The Cincinnati Bengals lost DJ Reader early on Saturday, so we got a sneak peek at what they might do to adapt their defense without him. Let's get into it. You are Locked On Bengals, your daily Cincinnati Bengals podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. I'm your host, Jake Lisko, joined today by Mike Santagata as we review the film from a long time ago now, Saturday. The Bengals played the Vikings. We're going to get into some of the adaptations we might see from the Cincinnati Bengals on defense and on offense if Jamar Chase misses this week. But with his status in the air, we are going to start on the defensive side of the ball. Today's episode brought to you by the Game Time app, where you can use promo code LOCKEDONNFL to get $20 off your first purchase of last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. And, Mike, lots to talk about on the defensive side of the ball, including Mike Hilton, fantastic day. Miles Murphy continuing to trend in the right direction. Some things did go well for this defense, despite Nick Mullins putting up 24 points, despite some of the things that didn't go so well, and despite losing DJ Reader. And the run D was not one of the things that, for the most part in this game, was very good. They had to change the way they were approaching run defense without DJ Reader, though. What were the big changes we saw from Lou Anarumo when DJ Reader was declared out? Essentially, wholesale philosophical changes on how you defend the run, where with Reader in, they will slow play everything. I mean, by that is guys are controlling their gap. A lot of Reader is going to be two gapping or gap and a half. Sometimes they have Hill doing that as well. And you're going to go slow. You're not going to try to get penetration. You're going to try to destroy this block and be able to clog everything up so that these are all one-yard gains. They tried that for a little bit after Reader went down, but the guys weren't able to do it because he's kind of the key cog there. He's the nose. He's taken up both A-gaps. Tupou, whoever they had in there, wasn't going to be able to take up both A-gaps. And actually, they were getting kind of driven off the ball a little bit. So they switched it, and the first thing is that they started kind of stunting a little bit, presenting some pressures, and that is going to be playing fast. And there are two different plays. They spiked the end, and that is that end is in the C gap, and he's just going to slant inside to the B gap and usually cross the face of the tackle. And outside of that, you still need a C gap defender, so out goes a linebacker. And that linebacker is going to come – free most of the time because the tackle goes oh crap i gotta take this guy so he's not a free runner and now well there's a different free runner so that happened to get logan wilson a free tackle uh they got a few run stops doing that but it becomes a very volatile way to play run defense you'll probably get more tfls because you're trying to penetrate you're trying to slant get guys free but at the same time you're probably also going to leave some stuff available for these backs to take advantage of when something doesn't work because now instead of slow playing and let the letting it you know clog everything up and don't allow any holes well when you're playing fast sometimes those holes get created and you can kind of think about how teams played the Bengals uh not this week but the last two weeks which the vikings do fast but that's a whole different thing they're way different than any defense but uh like the Jags, like they took advantage of Jags. They want to play fast. They want to get penetration. So let's just trap that guy. 
So now you have to be on the lookout for those type of things where they weren't trapping the three techs in the Bengals defense very often because they're like, well, that guy's not getting up field. He's mm-hmm. reading run, play run, then pass instead of play pass, then run, or at least get penetration versus try to hold your gap. It does lead to a more aggressive style of defense. You saw, for example, on the, the first play of the second half where DJ Turner just needs to make the tackle on the edge, Logan Wilson gets a free run through, but the running back is able to react in time and bounce it. And everybody's playing fast, like you said, and, and he's able to try to cut it off of a tight end block where that, that seals Dax Hill inside. And he has a one-on-one with DJ Turner and makes DJ Turner miss. And there's nobody behind it. There's, there's no help. And, and you did see that from both safeties and linebackers playing more on the perimeter. You saw the linebackers trying to, like you said, trying to fill faster, trying to find those run throughs and, and it does lead to some of those really nice tackle for losses, but also opens opens you up to some things. On a scale of 1 to 10, how worried are we about the run games of the next few opponents? Obviously, Cleveland uh, has some injuries on their offensive line, and that's a few weeks away, but has presented a tough run game all year. Kansas City and Pittsburgh in the next two weeks, though. What's your concern level on a 1 to 10 scale for just runs up the middle, essentially, for those teams? Uh, eight. Yeah, I, I was already concerned, yeah. <laughs> but at least I thought like, well, they won't be able to attack the A gaps with Reader there. And I was like, well, they could kind of attack a lot of places right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you could probably sell out a little bit against the Steelers. Is it, it's Mason Rudolph. It might yeah. be. Uh, it was a limited participation for Kenny Pickett apparently oh. on Tuesday. Okay, well, whoever it is. Not that I'm worried about Kenny Pickett. <laughs> Whoever it is, it's it's not a passing offense that you are um, praying that you're able to stop. It, it's more so kind of the odds. Like, we can't stop that, which I guess that did happen in the last Pittsburgh game. <laughs> but uh, the, the Chiefs, I feel like the Chiefs I have more concern, though, just because they do have a really good interior than Creed mm-hmm. Humphrey, Joe Tooney, and Trey Smith. They also are going to worry you enough in the pass game that even though the pass game isn't what it has been, I feel like you're never really going to sell out to stop the run against the Pat Mahomes-led, Andy Reid-led team. Yeah, Probably probably still going to try to play a little umbrella, keep everything in front of you situation. So I've got quite a bit of concern there. And then the Browns game is like... That's their entire offense. I mean, play, and play action. <laughs> Joe Flacco underthrown deep ball pass interference. And sometimes they'll actually hit him apparently this year, but we'll talk about that game in a few weeks when we get there. Mike Hilton stood out for a really fantastic game on defense. He only had three tackles, I think in this, in the stat book, but successfully defended a screen successfully carried Justin Jefferson on a, on a post that was almost picked off because Mullins underthrew it Uh, had a few really good plays as a blitzer particularly against the run, a number of, of plays right at the line of scrimmage. He also blew up the little throwback pass by getting into Jeff- Jefferson's face on that little trick play the Vikings ran, forcing him to, to rush his process and throw it into the ground. Mike Hilton can help you. And if he's going to play like that, that could be something that if they need to get more aggressive, more creative with how they're playing run defense, Mike Hilton, a guy that is willing to do it both from the slot corner alignment and even from, you know, a linebacker alignment. We saw even a couple of times in this game. He had a run through as a linebacker. It was, it was yeah. exciting. Um, yeah. 
but also they ran more saw pressures than we've seen. And that is typically the pressure you see whenever you see Mike Hilton make some tackle in the backfield. And the saw pressure is? Both sides. So Sam, Will, Saw. Uh, the Sam and Will are coming. And uh, so both sides, pressure coming. It's actually fun that um, in a few weeks or next week, uh, Spagnolo, that's what he's known for, are these saw pressures. And now it feels like Rumo's going to have to lean on those a little bit. And they almost got caught with one. It, this is kind of a cool play from Logan Wilson. They almost got caught on one yeah. because they brought a saw pressure and the Vikings perfect answer let's throw a screen out there because it's two on one for the vikings not the Bengals. and that is a bad situation to be in but logan wilson recognized what was happening so fast he went oh no <laughs> he just goes sprinting out there and he makes a stop for like one yard that's fantastic play you're going to need those plays and you're mm-hmm. going to need mike hilton playing well all to make up for this because they're going to be sending more stuff and they're going to be sending these solid pressures so linebackers got to have a quicker trigger but yeah, anyway, they're going to send more soft pressures because that's, I, at least I think they will, because that's what they did in this game than they have in the previous few weeks. And all that means is, hey, we might see some Mike Hilton TFLs. <laughs> it's exciting. It does lead to defensive linemen dropping into mostly like spot drop zones as well, because they're generally dropping guys out when they send those. They're, they're not just sending like zero with the the corner blitzes for example uh, a couple other okay i mean i know they'll they'll run straight zero for sure well, the, like the that. wilson play was a five-man pressure so they weren't in a zero situation it right. was uh i think it was a fire zone situation uh, a couple other guys that we're not gonna have time to talk about in a great deal of depth but jordan battle not perfect, but I thought was pretty good, particularly in run D. I think he was there where he was supposed to be. Again, for the most part, there's one play that we talked about before we started recording where he jumps into the wrong gap. That's exploited a little bit, but continues to play physical and willing to play and, and getting to the right spot in the run game, which is a welcome change of pace. And Miles Murphy continuing to trend in the right direction with a couple of really nice plays uh, against Christian Derrissaw in this one. We'll continue the conversation about adaptations and get into the offense a little bit, as Jamar Chase might miss some time coming up next. This episode of Locked on Bengals is sponsored by Prize Picks, the largest daily fantasy sports platform in North America, the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. It's just you against the numbers instead of battling thousands of other players, pros, sharks, the spreadsheet warriors. You just pick more or less on two to six player stat projections. And when you win, you get your money out real easy. There are a ton of different ways to play with prize picks as well. Love that. You can c- combine multiple sports. You can go NBA, NFL, crossovers. They have a reboot policy. So even if one of your players gets injured, your entries can stay in play. And that occurs if your player exits the game in the first half, doesn't return in the second half, that player is rebooted. It's an insurance policy, the only daily fantasy sports platform that has one of those. Right now at prizepicks.com slash locked on NFL, you can use promo code locked on NFL for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, that's prizepicks.com slash locked on NFL, promo code locked on NFL for a first deposit match up to $100. Prizepicks is daily fantasy sports made easy. Mike, let's switch gears, talk offense. And there's a lot to talk about in this game with Jake Browning that, that we can get to. The first thing I want to talk about is how they adapt if Jamar Chase has to miss time. Because it's one thing to not have Joe Burrow, and it's incredibly impressive what Jake Browning has done. 
instead for Joe Burrow and in Joe Burrow's stead the last few weeks. And and they've done it multiple ways. You credit the offensive coaching staff as well, obviously, for, for things that we've talked about the last few weeks, be it screen game, be it changing up the running game. This week, finding Dagger as a consistent answer. I think every single time either team ran any variation of Dagger in this game, it was successful. Uh, but more notably so, I think, for Jake Browning and the Cincinnati Bengals. But Jamar Chase leaves the game. The Bengals obviously still do enough to win, but Jamar Chase misses 20 snaps in this game and might miss against the Steelers. And if there's a place you're pointing to on the Steelers where you're thinking we can exploit this, it's probably in that secondary. How do the Bengals go about doing that? Or what signs do we see from them last week against the Vikings that we could see them go back to if Jamar Chase has to miss? I do think they have an understanding of what Browning is most comfortable with. And like you mentioned, Dagger, but not just Dagger, but also the, the wrap ins on race, bulls, whatever you want to call that. It's also part of the CO bow concept, but they got to that a lot. They got to a lot of intermediate middle of the field stuff. And it's typically uh, some type of 12 yard in or 15 yard in that they just hammer these guys with. And Jake Browning's good on that. I think they're learning that Jake Browning is not very good with the pick aside type reads where the cut it down the middle. It's like Millfield open this, but Millfield closed that way. What he is good at is hitting all this stuff in the middle of the field, but what he's even better at, I think, and this has actually got him into trouble. This is how he threw the pick, but he, he is very willing to throw an alert. Um, and what that is, is basically a lot of times it's, something that quarterbacks kind of just skip past like yeah. the deep ball on something that's really just designed to clear something out. But think like uh, Charlie Jones, Charlie the Jones, ball on exactly. Yeah. And that's Which why I, was, I said this in our post game. So I was incredibly impressed with the read from Browning there to make that throw because we've seen Joe Burrow pass that throw up a number of times. Yeah. And the first throw of the game, the Higgins deep ball that he dropped, that was also the alert on the play. And it's like typically not something that you're going to throw. Um, but you know, he kind of hangs there. He's like, if it's there, I'm throwing it type of thing where I feel like a lot of, especially backup quarterbacks are kind of terrified of doing that. Like, no, I need to run the offense exactly how it's here so that I keep a job. <laughs> Browning doesn't really have that. Browning has kind of like a, whatever, man, <laughs> I'll just toss this deep ball. They'll be happy. <laughs> it's his hands. So I like that. I like that they're finding what works best for him. I think maybe we just cut out smash concepts uh, which well so so let's let's stay on topic here what, what we're talking about first is what what they did and what they can do in the absence yeah. of jamar chase okay well i think you get to that i think you still get to the rapids you get to the dagger concepts you work intermediate intermediate middle of the field high low reads it's what he's been the best at his mm -hmm. entire time here and that's like the rap stuff that's the dagger stuff that's everything whether it's three levels two levels it doesn't matter maybe they work some drive concepts in there as well this past week i don't think they really did much with them but i feel describe like drive drive would be the outside receiver is going to run kind of like a drag underneath shallow route quick and then the guy inside of him is usually going to outside release go up about 10 yards and then cut in and mm -hmm. just what you're thinking high low linebacker stays on the comes down and tries to drive on that shallow route you can hit the in behind them they stay back because they know that's cheese and then you just take the underneath thing and then you usually try to get somebody that can actually run as the underneath guy in there so that you know it's not just three yards you can go create yeah but working all this stuff that he feels comfortable with 
that's what you're going to have to do against Pittsburgh. It's what they didn't know that they could do against Pittsburgh last time they played because they had him go out there in empty and run Dragon Lion, which is a Burrow loves that. Burrow loves mm-hmm. Dragon Lion. Slant flat plus double slant. I know exactly where I need to go, and he knows leverage and you know middle field, open middle field close, whatever. There was a very specific example that they ran that, and Browning starts on the wrong side, and it's quick game, so you kind of have to go throw something over there. <laughs> You're like, I can't reset completely and go to the other side because the offensive line's thinking this ball's coming out in two seconds, so mm-hmm. let me just get this ball out, turf it. Now you're not seeing that as much because he's more comfortable with the stuff that they're trying to run. So you kind of hit that with with or without Chase. I think the one big change you're going to have is, well, let's talk about two changes. One, I don't think the Steelers are going to like play a lot of too high coverage without Chase, even though Higgins is a great receiver. I think they're going to sell out to stop the run kind of like they did the last time they played. That feels bold to me when you're missing your two starting safeties. Probably. <laughs> I mean, I'm kind of expecting it. One thing I talked with Luke about in the crossover last week was something that the Vikings hadn't seen a lot when they send these blitzes is when a quarterback's hot is throwing the vertical. And the Bengals did that a couple of times. It yeah. didn't always work, but Jake Browning willing to push the ball down the field. And and I think that that was their mentality. Like you think about the quote that, you know, Browning said Callahan told him before the game, I think you're going to throw for 500 yards. Like, their approach to that game was they're going to be aggressive and Jake Browning is going to find the voided zones and throw to them. And I think and somebody had the stat. It was like against pressure. Browning had an A dot of like 18 yards. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was <laughs> Nate Tice or, or Robert Mays. One of those guys on the athletic yeah, show. The athletic show podcast. But um, yeah, like I think that, but if I was guessing what the Steelers did, like what were we successful with last time? Mm-hmm. Keep it eight in the box, stopping the run, making that guy throw. And maybe they're not ready. They're probably going to watch film and see some of the stuff. So maybe they're going to try to take away some of that middle of the field stuff, and that gets into a whole chess game. But if I was, if if I'm them, I'm kind of kind of thinking and confident of like, yeah, let's stop the run and make them throw because that's what they did last time. It's like, yeah, we trust our guys. So I think they're not going to get as much too high. We'll see. But I think they're going to sell out to stop the run. And then the other part of not having Chase is you might not try to run so much isolation stuff, which they haven't done a ton of. That's more of a Burrow loves doing that because he's so good on like back shoulder balls and turns those 50-50s into 80-20, whatever you want to talk about. So maybe you're not going to see a ton of that. But at the same time, they're going to have the opportunity if they do play a lot of single high to just toss some balls up to Higgins if they want to. But that's what I'm thinking is just the two things here are we're going to probably try to work more true drop back conflict concepts versus try to work isolation concepts. Mm-hmm. And they're probably going to have to have stuff that's going to beat a lot of single high plus one in the box stuff. It's a small thing, but they also lose some of the Jamar Chase motion gravity stuff that they like to use to move defenses yeah. and, and kind of set stuff up away from that motion. Or even they try to go to him. They also lose some of the the quick you know, RPO alert or RPO access stuff that they would run with chase where they just get chase the ball at the line of scrimmage. Maybe there's a blocker over there to help, or usually there's a blocker over there to help. And and you're trusting him to make a guy miss because he's very good at that. They might still try to do that a little bit. That hasn't been as big a part of the offense in recent weeks. Second level RPOs though. They can still hit those if they want to like against Jacksonville. They could, but that's something they went away from. And I think that's such a, a game plan specific thing. Uh, that's why I I struggle to draw too many long-term conclusions from any individual game because they are very defense uh, reactive right now. They're they're changing what they're doing on offense, I think, quite a bit to to account for what they're expecting to get. 
in a matchup perspective and that chess game aspect is quite interesting. But one thing that is encouraging is how well Browning has been distributing it to a ton of different targets. You, you go look at the number of players that had catches, number of players that had targets against Minnesota, and even really for his entire tenure playing quarterback for the Bengals, he's pretty comfortable throwing the ball to anybody. And so you do lose some of the individual dynamism and playmaking from Jamar Chase, but maybe that's a sign of sustainability. And we'll talk signs of sustainability. What else we've seen from this offense and Jake Browning that could lead you to buy in a little bit to finish up the show coming up next. Today's episode of Lockdown Bengals is sponsored by the GameTime app, the fastest and easiest way to buy tickets to a Bengals game if you're trying to get in for that last home game of the year or any event, be it music, comedy, theater, whatever your taste, GameTime has something for you or your wife or your partner. Who knows? They've got killer last-minute deals, all-in prices, views from your seat, and a best price guaranteed to take the guesswork out of buying tickets. No more stressing about whether you're going to have an obstructive view or whether you're going to be able to see well enough from your seat. They'll show you exactly what you'll see. And if you find tickets in the same section and row for less elsewhere, Game Time will credit you 110% of the difference. So you can take the guesswork out of buying tickets with the Game Time app. You just download it, create an account, and use promo code LOCKEDONNFL. You'll get $20 off your first purchase. Again, Create an account with GameTime. Redeem code LOCKEDONNFL, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N-N-F-L. You'll get $20 off. Download the GameTime app today. Terms apply. Last-minute tickets. Lowest price. Guaranteed. Mike, let's stay on the offense to finish up the show here. And if there's anything that we need to revisit on the defensive side of the ball there, always happy to do that. But the, the big topic for me that I've been thinking about that a lot of people have been thinking about. I mean, look at the the volume of Jake Browning analysis videos on the internet this week from underdog from JTO Sullivan, the, the airtime that the Bengals are still getting on the athletic football show. And those are the ones that I ingest. So if you're one of the people out there watching cable, watching NFL network and watching ESPN, I don't know how much they're talking about Jake Browning there. I don't really care. Uh, but I, I do care about how sustainable things are they're not playing the best teams they're playing backup quarterbacks that continues they're playing flawed offenses that continues even with the chiefs but at three games now of pretty good play from jake browning not perfect by any means but he's shown you his ceiling i think or or that he can reach a pretty high ceiling at least what are the things that look sustainable for you after three weeks versus what are the things that you think still need to be cleaned up or give you some pause? I thought this game gave you a little bit of the, uh, a little bit more feeling of sustainability because he worked a lot of drop back. And that was one of the big concerns before this week where uh, he's always ahead of the sticks. You know, he's always got the run game. Almost everything is play action, two man concept type stuff. And I don't know if that's sustainable. Like what if they, what about when the run game is not working? It's not that the run game didn't work this past week. It wasn't perfect, but I thought it it wasn't as bad as what it was against Pittsburgh earlier this year. Well, and they got way behind on the game script. Yeah, that, that's that a big part. huge problem. They fell behind in the game script, and that asked the question, okay, can you drop back and pass when they know you're going to pass? And they were able to. Now, is it going to – carry over week to week. I feel like that is there's a sample size question here. There's also a question of can he get through a game without throwing <laughs> that, inter, that interception that is like yeah. Nah, 
it's Nate Tice one time talked about how his feet or tell, like Josh Allen's feet will tell him no on something. He throws it anyway. And you do see on that play, this is in the side of Jake Browning kind of like shuffle, shuffle, throws it anyway. It's like, yeah. it's like, I know I need to move off this read, but it is what it is. Um, can you get through that? He did it without chase. There are questions about it, but I do think that it has looked fairly sustainable the past three weeks. I think you're looking at different ways to win against mm-hmm. different defenses against some a, one very difficult defense in the Vikings. I th- they're running as they have a lot of the tenure of a healthy of a healthy Joe Burrow is a lot of you know solid concepts that make sense and work. A guy that is in Browning doing his best in terms of getting to the right read, working, you know, with what's given, finding the open guy, and then a little bit extra sometimes with like how he hangs on alerts a little bit and is willing to throw those and probably does a little too much um, stump double stuff where he's trying to run around and (laughs) crash into people. But overall, it looks sustainable. It's just a question of, can it be consistent? Can it work week to week? And now you're facing the team that really made this not look like it's going to work. Can you go and in, into Pittsburgh and do that against them? I think that's a big question. And you hope we'll that sec- second time around with Pittsburgh helps. The offensive line has been playing way better. You hope that helps. Sure. You hope that that continues. They against Minnesota, Browning talked about took the responsibility of setting the protection off of Jake Browning and let Ted Karras do it. Yeah. Maybe they've been doing that all along, but it was notable that Jake Browning took time in his press conference to shout out Ted Karras for handling a lot of that work. And if Ted Karras can do that again, it, it lets Jake Browning think about other things. It, it, he doesn't have to worry as much about setting the protection. He has to hear the protection call so he knows where he needs to be hot and all those things, of course. But it gives him the opportunity to think more about what's the defense showing me? What are the things they like to get to out of this look? Against the Vikings, you never know what they're going to play based on the pre-snap look. Like that—that's the thing about the Vikings. If you go watch these ex-quarterbacks, Colt McCoy and, and JT O'Sullivan breaking down Jake Browning's tape this week, what impressed him so much was how he was able to deal with pre-snap, post-snap decision making, and how they how he was able to get the ball to the right place against these very exotic and difficult to figure out looks pre-snap. Mm-hmm. And Pittsburgh doesn't do as much of that. I don't think anyone does as much of that as as Brian Flores' defense in, in Minnesota. But where Pittsburgh challenges you is certainly with their pass rush and, and making things uncomfortable for you in the pocket. But without the safeties in Pittsburgh, the, the, the weakness clearly to me is in their back seven. So if you can protect, can, can Jake Browning settle in? Can they find that rhythm for him earlier in the game? Because that's really what it is, right? They, they, it took them so long to figure out where those plays needed to come. Some of the plays they could have had early in the game, you have the the Charlie Jones slowdown on the, on the alert ball that we talked about earlier. You had the T. Higgins uh, drop uh, on the other alert ball that we talked I guess there's a couple of alert balls that caught receivers off guard. Um, and, and Browning wasn't seeing things great. I messaged you during the game that it felt like he was treading water. It felt like he was drowning a little bit until suddenly he wasn't. And so you got to get to that. Suddenly he wasn't a little bit earlier in the game, yeah. like like more of the Colts game and, and find the right time to pull those levers. The other thing that's going to be interesting is how the run game continues to evolve because it did feel very different as we said it would against Minnesota. They didn't do as much of the trap wham toss 
mm-hmm. punish opposing defense for getting upfield. They did have a pretty successful toss play, Chase Brown's best run of the day, but it was a lot more the mixing kind of game. The patient set up your blocks, bounce it outside, and, and they do need to run the ball better against Pittsburgh. I, I think it's yeah. noteworthy that they got it back on track with Jake Browning being a drop back passer, more pure progression stuff, not splitting the field in half like you talked about earlier, but they did it without running the ball. They didn't establish the run. They got some, some solid work out of the run as the game went on, but they got back into the game, throwing it with Jake Browning. But, but if you have a run game going the way it was going against the Steelers, that does make things harder because then there's, I mean, they, they got nothing against the Steelers. That needs to be better. What what changes can they make there, do you think, schematically to help the run game have more of a shot? Yeah, I think, well, one, you're just going to need better execution because I thought a lot of the concepts that they kind of dialed up against Pittsburgh made sense to me. They're trying to run long trap. They're trying to run counter. They're trying to, And if you watch the Bills-Cowboys game, it was almost all long trap and some counter stuff. And they're playing a similar idea. They're playing an odd front. They're playing five guys up front. And while Pittsburgh was playing two, and sometimes a safety walked down to make three guys, eight guys in the box, and Dallas is kind of the opposite. They had five guys on the line and one guy behind it. But still, you're in a situation where those angles line up so that that play is going to work. Your guard will be able to get to that end, outside linebacker, whatever you want to call him, and open up a hole. But you need everybody else to kind of work out on that because those concepts that they're getting to aren't really concepts where – most the, most of the guys on those concepts can't completely fail their block. You can lose the block. You can lose it slow. You can lose leverage, but you can't lose so bad. A guy crossed your face and you don't even have a hand on him anymore. Mm-hmm. So that felt like the big issue against Pittsburgh last time was that Alex Kappa would lose across his face to Keanu Benton. The tight ends and wide receivers didn't give him anything in the run blocking department, which I also think T Higgins is probably their best blocking receiver and he missed that game. So he'll be in this one. So maybe you can use him to dig some guys out that they weren't able to do last time. Um, I probably even without chase, try to throw on a little bit of motion, sprinkle in a little bit of eye candy in there. Yeah. You can't go away from that. You have to just because I don't think that the spine, especially the linebackers and safeties for Pittsburgh are going to be a strong suit. So you give them a little something to look the wrong way. They might take it. Yeah. especially without Minka like Minka would be a guy like I don't think he's going to fall for that but you know the other guys yeah and Minka might not even play so I think won't you... play I think that he's been oh, I think sure I think it's would be very surprising if he plays okay but you know let's mess with their eyes let's hit the angles let's kind of work this so that it's uh the angles work out your running back is going to have defined reads on a lot of these plays so you can use brown or mix and i think more brown would make sense in this game to just try to generate an explosive in there for mm-hmm. if this all hits he's hitting open field against a backup safety yeah and he might be able to make that guy miss and go for a huge game one of the most impressive plays for Chase Brown, and I mentioned this, I think, on the post-game show, was running through the Cameron Bynum tackle on the Swing screen, screen. Yeah. early in the game. Tony personnel, too. That was yeah. two running backs. Just just love seeing that power from him because I, I didn't really see a ton of that in his game mm-hmm. prior to the last couple of weeks, so nice to see that element coming along. Last thing I'll say, then we're going to get out of here, is I, I've been really impressed with the coaching staff the last few weeks, finding answers, finding the right levers to pull at the right times. And that includes on the defensive side of the ball. And that includes on the defensive side of the ball against the Vikings. I thought that Luana Rumo, for the most part, not always, because you're not always going to be right as a defensive coordinator, but I thought he mostly called a pretty good game. 
and then just didn't really get the execution he needed out of some guys on the field at some times. And then Justin Jefferson just went berserk at times or, you know, Mullins would float a ball out there to Jordan Addison that turned into two touchdowns that were two of the stupidest touchdown passes I've ever seen. And, and some of that's execution, right? Like you have a chance to make plays on the ball or to at least make a tackle there for Jermaine Pratt and for DJ Turner. And, and DJ Turner had a game that he's going to need to learn from and improve from. But I, I did think that on both sides of all the coaching staffs have found some pretty good answers and have called some pretty good games lately. But that's going to do it for this episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. You can find Mike at Bengals underscore Sands on Twitter on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati, the podcast. Until next time, thanks for listening to this episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. Hootay, and have a good one.